Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Prisoner of the Mind Conference on the 17th and 18th. That will be on Facebook Live. Uh, you'll see things if you're on Facebook connected to Princess Within or my wife or I, you should think, see things up concerning that. And so it's going to be a conference like we would hold in the prison yet for people that are in the prison of their minds. A lot of different individuals that you know and have heard uh, speak before people will be given testimony, songs and signing, all these type of things. We're going to have sessions on Friday night and sessions throughout the day on Saturday. And so uh, there are just a few things there that uh, you could be involved with uh, without even leaving your house. Uh, you can stay at home, but stay in church. <laughs> you can stay at home, but stay in church. Amen. I'm going to be turning tonight to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. We are endeavoring, I am endeavoring rather to start here this evening, a series on the Gospel of John. My church family here knows that typically on Wednesdays I do. Uh, teach. We're Bible study typically on Wednesdays. We're either normally working through a book of the Bible, working through a character of a Bible, or working through some type of uh, concept or theme that is in the Bible. And so uh, we're going to try to work through the Gospel of John. I never want to try to say how long we're going to be here because, you know, that's just like uh, taking a shot in the dark. You just really don't know. At least I don't. And so we just take it week by week, day by day. But we're just, this is more just an introduction into the book or the gospel of John. Uh, our church family knows the introduction is just kind of getting our feet wet. We're not really diving deeply into the scripture. Although I think there's a few things here tonight that may be uh, of interest to us. Not saying that just the introductory things are not, but nonetheless. John 1, uh, these are in verse number 1. I'll start, I'll read the first three verses of John. These are... Some notable scriptures, especially John 1 and 1. There are many that could quote it by heart. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Just reiterating there in verse 2. All things were made by Him. and Without Him was not anything made that was made. Amen. Very simply tonight, a lot of times I start those series on books out with the first lesson just being introduction labeled. And so that's the way this is labeled here tonight. But we'll look at the word of the Lord, the gospel of John. Amen. The, the, apostle, the apostle Paul in his writing spoke that he failed not to declare the whole counsel of God. And so by going through a book of the Bible, we are helping uh, do just that, declare the whole counsel. Father, I come to you tonight. I'm grateful, Jesus, to be here. I'm grateful, Lord, for your word. I'm thankful, Jesus, that it's, Lord, a tool that has been given to us, Lord, to help guide and orientate our lives, God, around and by. I pray, oh, Lord, minister Jesus, God, this evening. Let, Lord, us learn something. God, give guidance to our souls and spirits. Open up our minds and our understanding. God will not fail to thank you, Jesus, for what you accomplished through your word. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So the introduction of the gospel 
the Gospel of John. We know those first four books of the New Testament Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are what we refer to as the Gospels. They're what we refer to as the good news. We talk about, or you may have heard people talk about before, the harmony of the Gospels because several of the stories that are found in one Gospel may also be found in another of the Gospels. Some of those that are found in Luke, others in Mark, and some are in three or some are in all four. It's all according to which particular episode or event in the Gospels you're speaking of. But the important thing about the harmony, as we call it, uh, the harmony of the Gospels is that the insight or the perspective of one of the writers of the Gospels uh, concerning any given event may, may involve some details that one of the other Gospel writers did not involve in their Gospel. And so as a result of that, when you take the collection of all four of the Gospels together, you get a more complete story. A, a, a collection of the four gives you uh, a more holy, uh, and that's W-H-O-L-L, a, a more complete uh, scope, if you will, of the life of Jesus Christ and the ministry of Jesus Christ because that is primarily what the Gospels are dealing with, the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Primarily his life during his earthly public ministry that he had and particularly the last week uh, leading up to and including uh, Calvary, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the Gospels don't give us a whole lot of insight into uh, Jesus' early years and Luke, of course, and some of those we have his, his birth and we have him going to the temple at a very young age and we have him at 12 uh, hard, asking hard questions, if you will, uh, of those that were gathered there. But in reality, there's very little coverage concerning the early life of Jesus Christ prior, prior, uh, prior to uh, his, his ministry his public ministry. And so when we look at the Gospel of John, John uh, is like the, the, the oddball out, if we were to call him that. John contains some stories in the Gospel of John that many of the other Gospels have, and yet he also has some events and episodes in his Gospels that cannot be found in any of the other Gospels. Not to mention that, but uh, again, there are many things that Matthew and Mark and Luke have that John omits from telling us in his gospel. In John, for instance, uh, there is no notable or noted cleansing of someone with an unclean spirit, someone that was per se demon-possessed. We, we don't read of any noted cleansings of people with unclean spirits in the Gospel of John. Also, you don't see like you do in some of the other Gospels those short little parabolic sayings or parables, the kingdom of heaven is like type of scenarios happening in the book or the gospel of John. However, John, unlike others, he highlights many Jewish feasts within his book more than some of the other gospels do. John is very good about recording times and giving us uh, a, 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 a 
idea of setting of time, even time of day. And, and if it was before or after the Passover, using those Jewish feasts, if you will, as time stamps as well. Very good at giving us locations, you know, cities uh, that he was in. Uh, the other Gospels may be more concerned, it would seem, with uh, the social and the historical matters of the Lord Jesus Christ. But John is very heavy whenever it comes to the theology of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these differences between John, who many times uh, scholars and other people just refer to as the fourth gospel, uh, the differences between John and the other gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those other gospels being set aside somewhat different from John, many times are called within themselves the synoptic gospels. And the synoptic, the word synoptic comes from a Greek word that means seen together. That those Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have so many similarities in the episodes and events and stories that they shared that they see together, so to speak. The synoptic gospels, though, are more narrative-like. They are, they're, they're, they're telling the stories, if you will, of the life of Christ. But John, on the other hand, it's in the book of John that we find these long lists or verses, if you will, of discourses that Jesus had with individuals or with people. Uh, in John 3, you have the lengthy discourse, if you will, of Jesus speaking to Nicodemus and everything that came about there. You have in John 8, uh, the discourse uh, between Jesus and the Jews, and they're trying to figure out how before Abraham was, he was, and, and so on and so forth, these long discourses. And some of the differences between John and the other Gospels may also have to do with the fact that uh, uh, the focus on Jesus' ministry, John focused mainly of his ministry that was in the southern portion of, of the vicinity, meaning Judea and Samaria, whereas the other Gospels concentrated more so upon the area of Galilee. John's Gospel, though, in relationship to those other three Gospels is one of interdependence still yet. They do depend upon one another. They do bring clarity to one another. Amen. And it's traditionally accepted that John followed the synoptic gospels, meaning that even in the writing and the penning of them, that John followed the synoptic gospels. However, as with almost every book of the Bible, we always look at this just for good measure, amen, of trying to be diligent and thorough in our going through the books of the Bible Almost with every book, there's a controversy concerning when the Gospel of John was actually written. I've seen it as early as A.D. 70, as late as A.D. 110, and maybe even later in my study. But nonetheless, uh, it is concretely evident that by the end of the second century, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were accepted on a level with the Old Testament writings. They accepted them and adopted them, amen, on even ground with the the Holy Writ of the Old Testament. The disciple John, the one that we read throughout the gospel, and he oftentimes states it like this, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He'll never speak of himself, it would seem, by his name, but he'll always term it the disciple whom Jesus loved. Folks, I, I mean, that's great. I think if I was writing a book for the Lord too, I'd just refer to myself like that, the disciple that the Lord loved. But nonetheless, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Here's what I want you to know when we talk about the author of John. Uh, the disciple John was not really attacked as not being the author of the gospel of John until the late 18th century. As a matter of fact, the only ones who denied that John's authorship, amen, that denied it 
uh, in the second century were those that were called a logi, meaning witless ones. They rejected the logos or the logos doctrine of the word being made flesh. And so they just also rejected, if you will, that John was the author of the gospel of John. Just, and I'm not here to bore you, but it is important for the study of the scripture. By the end of the second century, some of the old church fathers, one by the name of Irenaeus, makes clear that the author of the gospel of John was John and that he authored the gospel and it was published at Ephesus. Eusebius, another church father, reported that Irenaeus got his information from Polycarp, who claimed to have learned the truth from the apostles themselves. Others that followed Irenaeus, church fathers that followed him in his lifetime, endorsed the authorship of John too, such as Tertullian, Clement of Alexandria and Origen. These are people that are in our history. Amen. I will tell you tonight that I personally support that the disciple John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that one that is recognized as the son of Zebedee, as the author of the book of John that we're beginning to study tonight. You can read all kinds of controversies. You can read critical literature on it, not being him and all this stuff. But nonetheless, from what I can read and from what I can garner in my own spirit, Amen. I believe that John was the, the, the author of the gospel of John. The purpose of this gospel, it's important getting into the study of the gospel of John, of what his purpose was. The purpose of John is not disclosed in the opening verses necessarily. It's not disclosed in the opening chapter, but it is more toward the end of the book. And it is that purpose that should serve as a lens for you and I in how we study the book or the gospel of John. The purpose we may locate in John chapter number 20, verses 30 and 31. The Bible says, and many other signs truly did Jesus, did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Verse 31. But these, referring back to the signs, are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. These two verses follow the whole scenario of whenever Thomas finally comes to the Lord, has that meeting with the Lord, and he has placed his finger into the nail prints of a resurrected Savior. He has thrust his hand into the side where the spear had been, and the Bible says that Thomas believes. And Jesus asserts to Thomas that it is great and that there is a blessing in that he is seen and that he is believed, but he says even more so blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so following that scenario comes these two verses, what I call the purpose, if you will, of the gospel of John, because there could have been many other signs that were given all throughout the gospel of John, amen, concerning the disciples that was given to them, the followers, and even just the multitudes that were around in the area. But John tells us he includes what he includes. As a matter of fact, in the last chapter, it says if everything was written that the Lord had done, that, that the earth basically would not be able to contain. 
everything that was written. And so John was selective in what he was sharing in his gospel. And so we must understand that John is going to include those things that's going to help support his purpose. And his purpose is, is that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing that they would receive life through that name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some important words, reoccurring, repetitive words in John. We'll see pop up throughout the pages of John the word truth. 55 times it is used. The word life, 36 times. Light is an important aspect in John. 22 times love, abiding, and remaining, all important to John. But none will top the word believe. None will talk the word believe or those that are akin to it that may be translated in our English Bibles as trust or commit. 98 times it's going to be flickering through the pages believe or trust or commit because John wanted people to believe in Jesus. John wanted people to receive the life that he was offering them rather than some alternative that they had. Uh, maybe that's the reason why you see many times that even the gospel of John is as an isolated book of the Bible that uh, years ago they had these campus crusades and they would hand out just uh, individual testaments of John uh, no doubt with that purpose in mind with the purpose of what John had in mind so that people would believe in the Lord and that they would give their life unto the Lord it beats the alternative because the Bible says also in John in John 3 and verse 18 amen uh, following that scripture that we all know of John 3, 16, but in John 3, 18, he said, he that believeth on him, speaking of Jesus, is not condemned, but he that believeth not, he said, is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So again, John is underscoring. He wants people to believe in the Lord. And if they don't believe in the Lord, they are already condemned because they've not believed in the only begotten Son of God. Clement of Alexandria, one of the church fathers of early history, considered John's gospel of a quote unquote spiritual character or one that sought to bring out the divine side of Jesus Christ. Because remember, and we have this already starting to surface in the first three verses of John 1, and that is Jesus Christ had two natures. He was God, he had the divine nature, and he was also man. He had a human nature. And so Jesus Christ had these two natures. Alexandria, Clement of Alexandria said that the gospel of John seems to hone in on the divine side of Jesus. Surely we can see in scripture that John's teachings about the spirit are, are evident or if not even paramount in the gospel. As a matter of fact, they are so prominent and yet so misunderstood that whenever Jesus, a man was speaking to Nicodemus in John 3, as John recorded it, Jesus had to differ between natural birth for Nicodemus and being born of the spirit or spiritual birth concerning Nicodemus. Amen. He even tells us in John 4, 24, that God is a spirit. The definite article A is not there in the Greek, but God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and truth. And so he's even telling us that there is a spirit aspect of our worship that must be in place. For that matter, amen, John depicts, well, I believe both the divine 
divine side and the human side and the human nature of Jesus Christ. On the divine side, if we can just take our fingers and go through the pages just a little bit, I'll be careful because I know there's like, what, 21 chapters. But nonetheless, on the divine side, John relates to us concerning the Lord Jesus Christ that the Word was God in John 1 and 1. He tells us in John 10, I am my Father are one. He tells us in John 8, before Abraham was, I am. That's leaning on the divine side. Not just that he existed still before Abraham, but the I am. The I am that I am that Moses, amen, was revealed the, the name of God to him back at the burning bush. Amen. He that have seen me have seen the Father is what he spoke unto Philip. And then Thomas later would speak whenever he thrust his hand in and felt the wounds of the Lord. My Lord and my God. All of those things attributing to the divine divine nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. But John doesn't just paint that aspect. He also paints his human aspect. He paints for us in John 4, Jesus Christ, the man that comes to a well and he's weary with his journey. And he thirsts because of his journey. He shows us him, uh, Jesus, thirsting from the cross Amen. From Mount Calvary. He shows us standing, if you will, at the grave of a dear friend of his, Lazarus, and he wept. It shows us, John does, that the Lord is appreciative that whenever Mary anointed him with oil, amen, he spoke of how she had done that for her, his burial. He didn't want anybody to say anything about that because he was appreciative, amen, as an individual for the, what she had done, what she had bestowed upon him. He was troubled. The Bible says when the hour came that he knew that his death was coming, that the struggle of the suffering was going to take place. The Bible tells us that he was troubled in his soul because his hour was upon him, the human side. He's loving. We see in John 17, the high priestly prayer, amen, that Jesus is speaking of his love even for his disciples and the whole world. He is loyal through all of his trials, right? Six trials that Jesus went to, amen, through leading up to his crucifix, three of them whenever it was day, three of them whenever darkness had already landed upon the earth, amen, and yet we see that he is very courageous, amen, through them. John paints the Lord Jesus Christ, both his, both his divine nature and his human nature, amen. It's within the pages of John, I alluded to this earlier, that perhaps the best known verse of the Bible exists. John 3, you say the verse. Thank you very much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When we consider the gospel of John with the other gospels, the other gospels trace the genealogy of Jesus back to Adam. Some trace the genealogy of Jesus back to Abraham. But John traces it back to the thought and the plan in eternity. Matthew presents Jesus to a Jewish audience as their king. Mark presents Jesus to the Romans or to the common man as a servant. Luke presents Jesus to the Greeks or as the son of man. But John presents Jesus to a mixed group of both Jew and Greeks, Jew and Gentile audience, and he presents him as 
The Word was God. The Word was God. The Word, quotes word, is logos in the Greek language. It means something said, including the thought. Therefore, when God, in the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, the creative acts of God, whenever God said, let there be light in Genesis 1 and 3, what was said was tied to a thought. What came out the mouth was tied to a thought. The Bible says then, following up, let there be light was, and there was light. So what was accomplished? The light that burst forth found its origin, its start, its place in a thought. Genesis 1 and 1 is in the beginning God. It mirrors very closely John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, which mirrors also very closely another place of First John 1 and 1, saying that, meaning the Word of life, if you read it in context, that which was from the beginning. For John, the Word was not only from the beginning, but in the beginning. And God created all things through that Word. All things the Bible says were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. The word, which once again is something that is said, including the thought. The phrase and God said in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, it reoccurs over and over eight or nine times. The creative acts of God, of God speaking things into existence, it records and God said. And everything thing that God said was tied to a thought. What was accomplished from God? Speaking. Amen. Or the word found its origin in a thought. When he said, let the water separate, it was so. When God said, let there be a firmament, it was so. Amen. Everything that God said was tied. The word found its origin in a thought. The Bible speaks in Revelations 13 and verse number 8. It says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. The hymn is referring to the beast. Whose names are not written in the book of life. Of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. John writes in the book of Revelation that there will be. That it's speaking of a lamb that is slain from the foundation of the world. Or if I may, from the beginning, the foundation, the beginning of the world. John the Baptist, amen, in the scriptures of John 1, identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. Yet he was slain at Calvary. We understand we're approaching Resurrection Sunday this coming Sunday. We all understand if anybody would ask who was slain at Calvary, everybody would say Jesus Christ. He's the one, the two malefactors. He's the one that was crucified. He was slain at Calvary. But John in the book of Revelation says that from the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. How can this be so? Because the will and the thought of God 
that logos, that word from the beginning, amen, was for him to do indwell flesh, amen, from the beginning and acquire the blood to redeem mankind. From the very beginning of the world, God had a will, God had a thought, amen, in the mind of God was already, amen, the purpose, amen, of Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, there, God, whenever, whenever man sinned, God didn't have to come up with an idea for redemption there was an idea of redemption already in the mind of God from the very beginning of time he already seen in the periscope if you will of time amen that he was going to God was going to come down into well flesh amen acquire blood because of that flesh so that he could redeem fallen mankind it was in the thought of God amen in eternity it already existed amen in eternity I'm not talking about time now, but in eternity, Jesus was already born, had already died, and had already resurrected. Amen. Jesus was with God and was God in the beginning as a thought and as a plan. And so he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world because it was a plan and a thought that God already had in place in eternity. And he would use time to reveal what he had already deemed in eternity. So what was, what was accomplished then on Calvary, the expression of it, the dying of the Savior, what was accomplished on Calvary, the slain of the Lamb, was tied to a thought that preexisted time, that existed in all of eternity past, if you could even say eternity past. The same language is used of the church in Ephesians 1 and 4. Ephesians 1 and 4 says, according as he hath chosen us in him. The words us in him all throughout Ephesians denotes the church. Us in him, that's the church. He said, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The church really didn't literally exist before the world was formed, but it did exist as the thought and the plan of God, just as Jesus did before the world was formed. He had an idea concerning the church before it ever came into fruition. Keener says in his comments on the Gospel of John, he says, although many rabbis declared that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Christ is the anointed one, the Messiah, though many rabbis declared that the Messiah was among those things which existed before the world was formed, he said more often only the name of or plan for the Messiah existed beforehand. Just again, underscoring the concept that there was an expression when the word was made flesh, but that was tied to a thought and a plan, amen, that existed before the creation of the earth. Consider, if you will, with me just here for a moment, and some of this really just dabbles in our God is one series, now a couple or so years old. But consider, if, if you will, with me, if there was, I, I emphasize that, if there was, an eternal, quote-unquote, son in John 1, which was a person in the beginning, a person in the beginning with God, that we also should consider Proverbs 8. The Bible says in Proverbs 8, 1 and 2, and I'll also read verses 22 and 23, Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? 
She standeth in the top of high places. By the way in the places of the paths. Look at verse 22. The Lord possessed me. This is speaking of wisdom. The Lord possessed me wisdom in the beginning of his way. Before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting. From the beginning. Or ever the earth was. In other words, wisdom here in Proverbs 8 is being spoken of here. It's being spoken of as though it was with God in the very beginning. It's being spoken of in a very similar way, but the word of John 1 is being spoken of, of having been with God. Some say that this wisdom that's spoken of in Proverbs 8 is a manifestation of Jesus Christ. Again, there's a little difficulty there being that wisdom is, is regarded in Proverbs 8 in the female gender. That's a little difficult if you're going to try to make that be in the manifestation of Jesus Christ, who was a man. Nevertheless, the same language in Proverbs is used also in John chapter number one. And so if the same language in the beginning, being with, being there with God, is the same as the word being there with God. If we are going to consider then that that word is a eternal person right in the very beginning, then I guess we would have to say that there's an eternal daughter as well called wisdom. The reality is, is that with Jesus in view, God created the world. With that thought, with that plan, Christ in view, he created the world. And what that simply portrays, it simply portrays, it simply portrays the plan of the Son that was in the mind of God from the very beginning of time. Just the same as us, the Hebrews had a way of illustrating a thought or even a characteristic of God. Sometimes they, they would personify, for instance, wisdom, make it stand up and stand out, a characteristic, amen, personified as being there in the beginning, amen, with God. Now, something that John was countering that we got to look at here tonight, John was countering something in his generation, which may even lead to somewhat why John started his book as he did and his purpose as, as it was. He was countering in his generation uh, Gnosticism or Gnostic belief, and let me explain what that was. Gnostics or Gnosticism, they believe simply this, that in the beginning, they believed that there were two things. One, that there was God. Number two, that there was matter. So they believe in the beginning there are two things, God and matter. They believe, though, that matter was flawed. They believe that matter was evil. They believed it was so flawed and so evil that God wouldn't or even couldn't touch it because of his purity, because of his holiness. And so here is what the Gnostics believe. And this is what John has to combat in his day. The Gnostics believe then that God put out emanations or things that came from him, but he was still the source of. He put out emanations. And as he put out these emanations, they got further and further from God until there was a point after putting these out so much that they didn't even know God. I'm just telling you what the Gnostics believe. Amen. As, as, out there do you think this is? Nonetheless, they believed that those emanations, it came to where they didn't even know God, even to the place that they would have grown hostile toward God. And it's then that they believe that most degenerate 
emanation that they believed came from God but grew to where it didn't even know God and was hostile toward God, that that emanation was the one then that touched the matter and created the world. And so the Gnostics then associate that idea or that emanation that created the world from that matter, they associate that with the God of the Old Testament. And they see him then quite differently from the God of the New Testament and the Father of Jesus Christ. But the word that John speaks in trying and endeavoring to combat this is that the word isn't an emanation of God, but it's the will and the thought of God from the very beginning. And it was instrumental in creating the world Amen. The world then was manifested. The word then was manifested in the flesh in the gospel of John. And we knew him as Jesus Christ. So while they're thinking there's two things that exist. And one's going to create it that emanated from God. No. John says that word that was in the beginning that was with God and was God. Created all things and without him was not anything made. That was made. I'd like to share something with you that I know many here in the viewing audience have heard. Uh, Anybody that's ever went to one of Brother Lang's teachings at NYC, you have probably heard this. Or if you're a part of his academy, you have probably heard this. But uh, Brother Lang has taught uh, the students at NYC. He has went to Genesis 1 and 1 and has shared uh, that verse with them. And how that can very easily correlate with our John 1 and 1. Uh, and if I may, tonight, here in the Hebrew Bible, it is Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashamayim va'et ha'erezet. Ha'erez. There is a word in the middle of all those. There's seven of them. Pardon my Hebrew. I am not a, a profound uh, student of the Hebrew, but Brother Lang is. Within those seven words in the Hebrew, right smack dab in the middle is the word et. Literally translated, it may be in the beginning created God, the heavens and the earth. Right there in the middle is et. Et in this context of Genesis 1 and 1 is an untranslatable word. The first letter is Aleph, which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The last letter is Tav, which is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's an untranslatable word in this context. Symbolically, it is a representation of, quote unquote, the word in Hebrew. Because both Aleph and Tav are the bookends to the Hebrew alphabet. And so it takes all these different letters just as an R of 26 to create words or word. And so et in this symbolically represents the word as a symbol. According to Brother Lang and his studies as a symbol or pictorially, it would look like a line with arrows on both ends going in either direction, extending in either, either direction, in either direction, connecting what is before and what is after. He says, could it be possible that the Messiah, the messianic prophecy of God taking on the form of a man and coming to us as Jesus Christ can be found in the very first verse of the Bible? 
Because amazingly, right there in the middle, at that untranslatable word in Hebrew, amen, that arrow, if you will, symbolically, is connecting and tying together Elohim, God, heavens, and earth. He said, God coming from heaven to earth. The word made flesh. Again, this context of it only works here in creation. But if you go to John 1, you know what John is speaking of in John chapter number 1? Amen. Of the word being made flesh. Speaking about all things were created. By him and without him was not anything made that was made. Again, speaking, if you will, along the lines of creation. Even speaking in verse number 4. Or in 5, rather. How the light shined in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not the word comprehended meaning it did not acknowledge it did not join to it if you will the division of light from darkness that we see in genesis chapter number one couldn't it be amazing tonight amen that according even to the old hebrew scriptures amen that we had that word being made flesh all the way in genesis chapter number one because as a thought and a plan it already existed it materialized Amen. As John spoke in John chapter number one in the other gospel writings. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful God tonight? Amen. If you'll tonight just uh, bear ear here this evening, I'm going to come to a close. And so the gospel John written by John. The gospel of John. Yeah, there's some play as far as the exact time frame. Probably no doubt came after Matthew, Mark and Luke. If not them being on page, then surely the oral tradition of them. Nonetheless, we understand John's purpose, and this is what we got to keep in the forefront of our minds. He wants people to believe that the Lord, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing on him and his name, that those would receive, if you will, the spirit and the power of life upon their life. And so that's what we must. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.